Welcome to Talking Mopars, episode number 66, and another installment of High Performance Heritage. This time around, we're going to be highlighting the first of the Winged Warriors, the 1969 Dodge Charger Daytona. I even have a fun little story about a local Daytona that I'd like to talk about that directly relates to the origins of the Mopar Hunter. So it fits perfectly into this episode, and we'll get to that story plus our main subject after Project Car of the Week, High Performance Parts, and Listener Stories. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, and I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars, High Performance Heritage. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. This week's Project Car of the Week was the 1969 Dodge Dart Posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page on Tuesday, January 5th at 9 a.m. Let's read the ad. 1969 Dodge Dart, $16,500. 1969 Dodge Dart, very well built 440, TCI 727, Dana 60 with 456 in a spool, fiberglass front rear deck lid, front bumper, just put down the Durax floor liner. Front end has been completely rebuilt. Everything has been changed, including the torsion bars. Rear tires are Hoosiers that don't have 50 miles on them. MSD distributor, 6AL box, brand new Holly XP carb, too much to list, completely rewired with Ron Francis wiring, also have the box with the extra wiring for other applications, plus instructions. Also, front tires are new and converted over to Kelsey Hayes 4-piston calipers. Shocks in front are new, shocks in rear are new drag shocks. Car is very fast. Title status is clean. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking... Here he goes again with another dart drag car, and you're right. (laughs) I can't help that I love Dodge darts, and I can't help that I love drag car projects. They're just cool. I really do enjoy them. I think they're awesome, and I think they make great project cars. And this drag car just happens to be another dart. The reason why I like this one so much is because it's pretty much ready to go. To me, it looks like it just needs a few finishing touches, and you're off to the races. I should say that like with any race car project, You'd want to go through this thing from top to bottom, but just based on what I see, I think it's a great candidate for a drag car project, especially at under 20 grand. I mean, this thing's sitting at 16.5. I think there might be a little bit of room, but, uh, you know, just looking at the car and comparing it to other things that I've seen out there for maybe half the price, this seems like a good buy. I will say this, though. It may be kind of a handful on the street, and that's only because of the spool and the rear end ratio. For those of you that don't know, a spool is a fully locked rear diff. Unlike a locking diff, the spool is locked at all times, so when you're turning, you're going to feel the rear end grabbing and gripping the road because the wheels will be unnaturally turning at the same rate of speed. So it's kind of impractical, you know, parking and taking turns and stuff. It might feel a little bit weird, almost like if you're in four-wheel drive on the street, you know, and you crank the wheel all the way and you try to turn, you're going to feel that rear end like skipping almost. Um, The other issue that I saw was the 456 gears. I think it would be really fun, obviously light to light on the street, but I'd imagine if you're on the freeway, a lot, it could be an issue. But that said, you know, a lot of people run these gears all the time, even on the street. So I guess it just depends on the type of driving you'll be doing. And if you're willing to put up with it, it might be okay if you only take the car out occasionally on the streets, but at 16,500, you have a great head start to a fun strip car that can possibly be driven on the street. It's a big block dart with some bigs and littles. 
It also has what looks to be centerline auto drags on it. So that's, that's a plus in my book. I love those wheels. So big and little auto drags, cool in my book. It's got a side exit exhaust, aluminum radiator. It's got a nice racing shifter in it, some cheap racing seats, Grant steering wheel. You know, this thing's got some potential. You know, does it have its flaws? Sure, but we can work around those and we can take this platform as you get it and then make it your own. You know, there's still room to improve. And, you know, that's sure to tickle any Mopar enthusiast fancy, especially mine. This thing even has wheelie bars too. So if you did drive it on the street, the only addition to make it even more intimidating would probably be a parachute. But this car is cool, has a ton of potential, and it's sure to turn heads on both the track and the street. It's got nice orange paint, a black bumblebee stripe. It's got a giant hood scoop on the front, like the old school, I don't know what you call it, like a pro street hood scoop, I guess. Um, I think that's the word I'm looking for. I think that's the description I can give, but it's um, not the typical hood that I would like to see on a Mopar, but I guess it works. I like Hemi hood scoops or six pack hood scoops. I think those are cool. Um, but uh, it's got four, it's got the fiberglass trunk. So it's got four pins on that to hold it down. Um, like I said, it's got the wheelie bars, so it's got that badass aesthetic to it. Um, I love big and littles. So you got the big fat meats in the back and the little skinnies up front. I think that just looks badass on the road. Um, but at 16.5, you know, I've seen a lot of cars that are really close to that price that are nowhere near as complete. You know, this thing's got an aluminum dash. You know, if you ask me, I think it needs a little bit of work on the inside. He's got the sound deadening material on the floor, no carpet or anything like that. I think you throw some carpet in this thing, you know, maybe clean up the cage a little bit, maybe even just redo the cage. I'd like to see inside the trunk. I'd like to see what's going on in there. There's a lot of details left out about this thing. So at 16.5, I'm a little questionable, but that's why you go and look at a car and check it out for yourself. Get your own two eyes on it and see what it's all about. But that was Project Car of the Week, the 1969 Dodge Dart posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page on Tuesday, January 5th at 9 a.m. No Mopar left behind. This week's high-performance part belongs to the 1970 Dodge Super B featured on Season 1, Episode 8 of the old FX show Nip Tuck. I don't actually know much about the car. In fact, I almost missed it, but thankfully somebody was paying attention. My wife and I were watching this show and she said, hey, I think that was a Super B. Of course, I was on my phone not really paying attention, so I hit rewind and sure enough, she was absolutely right. I'm so proud of my wife. I've taught her well. Um, the car was yellow with the black reverse C-stripe slammed in the front and sitting on some baby moon wheels. It had some weird black paint accents on the front end, as well as like a funky stripe that, you know, I suppose was supposed to coordinate with the reverse C-stripe, but it just looked weird to me, but still a cool car nonetheless. You could tell it was built probably sometime in the 90s. At least that's what it looked like to me. And I did a little digging. The car might have also been featured on the show My Name is Earl and the movie Bad Boys 2, neither of which I confirmed, but that's what I heard. Either way, it's always nice to see a Mopar on TV. That was this week's high-performance part, the yellow 1970 Dodge Super B featured in the TV show Nip Tuck. It's time once again for listener stories. This week's listener story was sent to us by our friend Tad with the Super B. 
who just so happens to be the record holder for most messages ever left by a listener. It's always good to hear from Tad, so let's hear what Tad had to say. Hey, Chris, it's Tad here. Uh, I, I, the new year, couldn't hold off. I'd leave a message, especially after I listened to that long, long, long story about this van that you can't pull the trigger on. So, dude, buy the van. Eight and three-quarter the engine, the tranny. I mean, that alone, even if you scrap the van, you're going to make your money back if, it, if that's what it was about. But it's a van. So I'm assuming this is near your house somewhere or at least within a couple hours. But here's another story for you in terms of why you should just buy it and how much effort I've put into buying a car. So the 64 Land Cruiser that I found when I was up in Montana I ended up having to leave up there in a storage lot uh, when I left. So about four months later, I really wanted it back. The only way I could do that was to fly up to Spokane, rent a U-Haul, drive from Spokane all the way over to a small town in Montana called Libby, Montana. So I drive all the way over there, get there at like four in the evening. I mean, it's a small town, so everything's closing down. I find the only place in town that is renting U-Haul trailers and get it hooked up, <clears throat> drive over to the uh, storage lot, which again, this is winter time, so there's snow everywhere. Get to the storage lot. I had a few things in the storage unit as well that I threw in the back of the U-Haul. Luckily, one of them, like you mentioned in your uh, story, was a come-along. So I tie a chain, I go to the to the hardware store, buy like a 15-foot piece of chain, bring it back, wrap it around the axle, get my finally get the Land Cruiser up on the trailer, strapped down, and then I had a, basically, if I drove straight through, I think it's close to 20-hour drive from Montana back down to California. Maybe not that long, but it's, it's, a, it's at least a 15-hour drive. But, uh, so if this is near you, if it's in the woods, if it's only 350 bucks, pull the trigger, dude. Like literally, if you don't tell me where it is and I'll drive up there and buy it and tow it back down. You know, part, part of the story of the cars we buy is how we got them. And you've, you've got quite a history already built up with this one. So you might as well get it so that when it's sitting at your house, you can tell people all about the back and forth and the, not wanting to pull the trigger and just get that thing, man. It sounds awesome, so I'm excited for you. So uh, I hope you get it. Um, 350 bucks, just do it, man. All right, have a happy new year, brother. Tad, I have good news and I have bad news. <laughs> Which do you want first? I'll go ahead and give you the bad news. The van got sold the weekend I was ready to pull the trigger on it. So lesson learned. I should have pulled the trigger to begin with. I'm kicking myself, but not kicking myself. You see, I told the lady the last time I had contacted her before she told me that the van got sold was a week before I made the call to tell her that I was still interested in the van. So I told her, hey, you know, I understand you got people coming to look at it. I'm willing to buy it right now, but you want me to haul it out same day. I need to organize and arrange uh, transport for the car. So I had the trailer lined up 
I had a couple other things I needed to take care of first. And I also wasn't positive about the storage of the van. I had a place I was going to store it and I'll save you guys all the details. I possibly lost that storage at least for now. So I was in a predicament. So when it came down to it, it was a week before I had intended to reach out to the lady. And I was like, you know what? I just got to pull the trigger on this thing. You know, I just, I felt it in my gut. <laughs> you know, I was like, all right, you know, it's now or never. Um, I was really hoping that somebody would just buy it so that, you know, I, I could stop thinking about it. Cause I really do have too much other stuff going on to worry about another project at this point in time. But like you were saying, you know, I understand, <laughs> you know, the value of the rear end, the engine, and just the fact that it's cool, <laughs> you know, um, so I really wanted the van and I reached out to her and I said, Hey, do you still got the van? She said, yep, still got a couple people coming to look at it. And I'm like, okay, you know, and you know, once again, I called her bluff because I could have went and grabbed the trailer and I could have went over there and I could have bought the van. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I didn't, I called her bluff and I was like, you know what? Gosh, I really, you know, I know it's cheap. 350 bucks is like nothing in the Mopar world. You know what I mean? So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see how it goes. Because like I said, the storage of it, it was going to have to come to my house. And I live in a neighborhood with a stupid HOA, which is a homeowner's association, which means if they don't like the way something looks at your house, in your yard, et cetera, they, they can quote unquote fine you, right? Now, I really don't give a you know what about this HOA. I'll do whatever I want, you know, because most of my stuff is cool anyway. Now, this van probably would have been unsightly until I pressure washed it, but that's okay, you know, <laughs> kick rocks, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I would have told the HOA president, you know what I mean? I would have had an insurrection at his house, <laughs> that's what I would have done. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, that was wrong, <laughs> sorry guys. But I was, you know, I was sitting there thinking to myself, okay, do I do it, do I not do it, do I do it, do I not do it? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit on it for one more day. I'm going to sit on it for one more day and I'm going to reach out and I'm sure, I'm sure I'm positive she's still going to have it. I'll go grab the trailer tomorrow morning and I'll go over there with cash and we'll make the deal and I'll figure out what to do with this van. And lo and behold, the next day I was informed that it had sold. Part of my heart was crushed and the real true true Mopar enthusiast inside me was like, Argh. I knew I should have just pulled the trigger and got that thing. But then I started thinking about it a little bit harder. And I was like, you know what? 350 bucks is 350 bucks. I still have two projects that need more stuff, more parts. And I already have a thousand bucks waiting for this other van that my friend Stacy has. So, you know, gosh, I really would have hated to part that van out. I really would have wanted to at least get it running and have a cool little van to cruise around in. But at the same time, I've got two cars right below me as we speak in my garage that need to get up and running. And like I said, that still need parts. So it would be unfair to the rest of my projects and to the other van to bring this one on board too. I don't need four Mopar projects at this point right now because I have no place to put them. <laughs> so... I'm in a, I'm in a predicament. I need to sell my house and get a house with some property and a shop. 
that is my next life goal. <laughs> I really need to make that happen so that I can keep, you know, pushing this Mopar thing. Um, but for now, I'm really going gung-ho in my truck so I can at least have some fun. Um, I would really like to get that van going that I'm buying from Stacy, you know, pretty quickly. I at least would like to cruise that around during the summer too because I've got some special plans for that. Um, my dart, still got a long ways to go on the dart. Every time I look at it, I get discouraged. And I'll be lying if I said that I haven't thought about just selling it and getting something else to start over again because I feel like I keep losing motivation on it. I keep looking at it and going, okay, this is what I need to do. Let's do that this weekend. And then I get to it and I look at it and I'm like, ugh, you know, which sucks. And that's my fault. It's my fault for letting it get to the point where now I'm bored with it, <laughs> you know. But every once in a while, something will come up and I'll go down there and I'll tinker with it and I'll get all motivated again. So I just need to get more time in that garage. And I, just, I need to start throwing all these parts I have at that dart so I can actually see some progress. That's what's holding me back because I'm not seeing the progress. So that's what I'm working on. Those are my goals before I get this other van. Um, I need to start making a little headway with these other projects I got. I would like to at least get one of them out of the garage so I can get my wife off my back because her car, her Jeep has been sitting out in the driveway, you know, and that's not fair to her. Plus it's a nice car. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want the, I don't want the Grand Cherokee sitting outside when it could be inside, especially since we owe so much money on it. <laughs> um, so I'm going to get my blue truck going, get it out of the garage. I'd like to drive it a lot, you know, this spring and summer. And then, um, you know, start cranking away at this dart and this other van. I've got some big plans for this other van. I'm so excited. And I haven't shared, you know, pictures publicly really of this thing. So I think I'm going to do that soon just so you guys get an idea of what um, I've got coming up. Or actually, you know what? No, I'm not. You guys are just have to wait for the video to come out. And you're probably going to see most of that if you become a supporter of the Mopar Hunter page. But more on that later. For right now, you know, Tad, I get what you're saying, man. I really, I really, you know, I'm kind of on the fence. You know, what, was it a good deal? Yes, the van was a great deal. Did I need it? No. <laughs> Do I really have the means to get that van to a respectable point that I can cruise? I mean, yes and no. I just have too many projects going right now and I'm just not in a, in a place, literally. <laughs> I really can't do it at my house because I have to think about the van that I'm already committed to from Stacy because I love that van. So that one's coming. That's already, I've already, with that other van, I've already locked in all the space I have at my house right now. So I guess I'm just going to have to settle with the other van and my dart in my truck for now. But let me tell you something. When I have property and a shop, things are going to change. <laughs> I will no longer have to think about the space. That is the biggest holdback for me. I've had money to buy a couple different projects here, and I just haven't pulled the trigger because I don't have the space. And it's really killing me because I know there's a couple projects right now that I'm looking at that it's like, you know, do I need them right now? No, but it, like the like that van, it would be nice to have a place just to put it. If I had the property and the shop to just buy that $350 van and keep it there and just put it on the back burner, you know, and prevent it from rotting any further. That's what I would have done, but I'm just not in the position. So, you know, Tad, I, <laughs> if I had heard this message from you and she still had the van, I probably would have given you the information and said, go buy it. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Heck, I'll buy it and then you can buy it from me, <laughs> you know, when you get up here. But that's not the way it worked. And, you know, I'm not really a big religious guy, but I did say after I looked at it the first time and I started regretting it, I was like, you know what, Lord, if that van was destined to be mine, then when I'm ready to pull the trigger and I go to get the van, it'll still be there. And when I finally said, you know what, I think I'm ready to go get that van. It was gone. And, you know, I wasn't even, I wasn't even positive. I wasn't even sure. I thought, hmm, I think I'm ready to go get that van. <laughs> you know, that's not the right mindset. The mindset is I'm going to get the trailer. I'm going to get all my stuff and I'm going to go get that van, you know, and I didn't have that mindset. So it is what it is. I'm, I'm still happy. You know, I'm not depressed. <laughs> Do I wish I, I had the means and the place to be able to get that van and take it on as a future project, yes, absolutely. But that's not what happened. So we're moving on. I can't wait to show you guys this other van. That's gonna be a really fun video. Um, I'm gonna make a weekend out of it. So that's coming up in March. I'm gonna do that the week of my birthday. I took the week of my birthday off specifically to go get myself that van because I thought it would be a great birthday present. So that's what we're doing. Thanks, Tad, for sending in your message. That was actually part message, part story. So we're going to say that was listener stories. If you want to hear your story on the show, you can do so by emailing me or leaving me a voicemail that I will play on the show. My email is chris at talkingmoparts.com and the number to call for voicemails is 209-28-MOPAR. I look forward to sharing your Mopar stories. It's no secret that I love wing cars. In fact, one of the inspirations to start the Mopar Hunter Facebook page was actually a 69 Charger Daytona rotting under a tarp local to me. The car has always been a local Seattle area legend, eventually ending up where I first saw it in Linwood, Washington, just north of Seattle. I remember driving to the Alderwood Mall with my dad one day, and I just happened to glance over and spotted this car under a rotted old blue tarp. The tarp was so rotted that I could actually see part of the wing and the word Daytona on the quarter panel. I nearly shat myself. <laughs> I'm not even joking you. I must have been in my early teens at the time. So this was like 20 something years ago. And wing cars are just something that you do not see in people's driveways rotting away in this area. I mean, you rarely see any Mopars, you know, that are old rotting away in driveways around here. I mean, they're around for sure, but there aren't in any level of abundance. <laughs> That's for sure. You don't see a lot of them. And when you do, you definitely stop and look. So when I saw it, I yelled for my dad to turn around and we did another drive-by to see it. My dad and I never went and tried to get the good old-fashioned cold knock to find out about the car, which I regret to this day because it wouldn't be until I was 30 years old that I would actually knock on the door myself to see if it was actually for sale. That was in 2015. It wasn't for sale then. And the rumor circulating now is that the guy either wants a brand new Maserati in trade or 200 grand. And that's fair enough, I guess. I, you know, when you own the car and you aren't outright trying to sell it, the ball's in your court. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you can ask whatever you want for it. If somebody comes up and says, hey, how much do you want for the car? You know, it's a 440 auto car, red with a white stripe, and is, at least the last time I saw it, in complete disrepair waiting for either Mother Earth to claim it back or for the person with the deepest pockets to come and save it. And unfortunately, that person isn't me because I don't have those deep pockets. But at some point, the center section of the wing was stolen, which sucks for the owner and for the car. 
I've actually heard from a few local Mopar guys that they actually know who took it. I never entertained that conversation, though, because the fact that someone would do that, frankly, it pisses me off. You don't touch another man's car, period, and you especially should not disgrace a wing car, you know, or any Mopar that isn't yours, period. You know, that's all there is to it. But I was told the car wasn't for sale when I went and knocked on the door and that they actually have a stack of phone numbers of people who want to buy it. So no surprise there. And I'm sure a large majority of them have more money than I do. So that was just a quick little story of one of the cars that inspired me to start the Mopar Hunter. And I thought it would be fitting to mention for this installment of High Performance Heritage, highlighting the 1969 Dodge Charger Daytona, which is one of the most sought after Mopars on the planet. A lot of non-Mopar folks, and even some Mopar enthusiasts too, think that the wing cars of 1969 and 1970 were the ugliest cars of the muscle car era. I could not disagree more. In my opinion, the Dodge Charger Daytona and the Plymouth Superbird are the two cars that set Chrysler far apart from all the competition during the muscle car era. And I'm being literal when I say that. They were winners as soon as their tires hit the track. For me, I just don't believe my Mopar life will ever be complete if I don't someday own one, even if it's a tribute. And I know that wouldn't be as cool as the real thing, but my pockets probably will never be deep enough to enter that special club of people that are fortunate enough to own the real deal. But what makes these aero cars, these famous wing cars, so special aside from their wild looks? Well, to understand them, you got to look at their origins, and that's why today we're going to take a look at the first of two wildly unique winged warriors. Outlandish, ridiculous, brash, boisterous, perfect, amazing, fast, unique, and badass. <laughs> Those are just some words that come to my mind when I think of Chrysler's winged warriors, the first being the 1969 Dodge Charger Daytona. The Daytona wasn't actually intended to be the wildest looking muscle car ever produced. Actually, you know, it was only produced for one year to make it eligible for competition in NASCAR. The Daytona made its debut in spring of 1969 and only 503 were ever produced during its short production run. It would go on to be the first car to hit 200 miles an hour on a NASCAR super speedway with Buddy Baker behind the wheel exactly 15 years to the day before I was born, on March 24th, 1970, at Talladega. But it officially debuted in NASCAR at the Alabama International Motor Speedway in September of 1969 at the 1969 Talladega 500, where it was victorious. And although it was considered the worst race in NASCAR history, it was monumental for the Daytona. And maybe someday I'll go into why that was considered the worst race in NASCAR history. But for today, we're focusing on the Daytona. And the Daytona made for showrooms was available with either a four-speed or a torque flight automatic transmission. And you had two engine choices, the 375 horsepower 440 Magnum, or for the lucky 70 cars that had it, the legendary 425 horsepower 426 cubic inch Hemi. For the 440 cars, 139 of them were equipped with four speeds compared to the Hemi's 22 four speeds. I'll let you figure out the rest of that math, but let's just say that the Hemi four speeds are pretty rare. Stopping power came by way of 11 inch drum brakes, and you'd be peeling away from the dealer on either 14 inch or 15 inch wheels and tires, depending on whether or not you got the Hemi or the 440. Looking at the prices of these cars in today's market, it almost makes you sick 
to think that you could actually buy one of these off the showroom floor from your local Dodge dealer for just a few bucks shy of four grand. You know, it's like 3,900, something, something, something. (laughs) But less than four grand, you could get one of these wing cars. And then later on down the line, depending on which one you got, you could actually, you know, (laughs) you can make a lot of money on these cars. You know, you buy it for 4,000 and, you know, 50 years later, you sell it for, you know, if you've got a Hemi four-speed car, (laughs) you're talking, you know, easily half a million, million, you know, depending on, you know, what options you had, what the color was and all that good stuff. You know, the rarer the car, the more it's worth. So you might've just, your $4,000 car might make you a million dollars. You know, if you were to have bought one back then, I wonder how many people actually bought a Daytona knowing that someday it would be a huge investment. You know what I mean? You buy it for less than four grand and then, you know, 50 years later, it's worth six figures, maybe even seven figures. That's insane. But these cars were huge. They were a whopping 208 and a half inches long, thanks to the added steel nose cone, which added nearly a foot and a half to the standard length of a charger. And it actually created 1,200 pounds of downforce on the front end. It used the hood and fenders from what was to be the 1970 Dodge Charger, had a giant, almost two foot tall, functional cast aluminum rear wing that was actually adjustable to provide 600 plus pounds of downforce. It had stainless steel A-pillar covers to help with aerodynamics, functional fender-mounted air extracting scoops, a flush back window, shortened deck lid, and if you were to look under the front of the car, you would see some interesting things. Behind the front spoiler, you would see a couple of additions to aid in aerodynamics like a belly pan and a rubber shield in front of the front suspension components to reduce drag. These cars left the assembly line originally as Charger RTs and were sent to Creative Industries for the aero package modifications. A couple more interesting notes about the Daytona were that the aero program was a serious engineering effort and none of the aspects of the aero package on the Daytona were for flash. It was built purely for function, specifically to win NASCAR races. In fact, the Charger Daytonas were banned from NASCAR competition for being too dominant and were determined to have an unfair advantage. Can you believe that? That's what we call winning. All right. So the Charger Daytonas, they're really cool cars and you can get into the nitty gritty details of these things. But I just wanted to give you for this high performance heritage episode, I wanted to give you a quick rundown of what the Daytona was and what made it special. And one of the fun things about being a Mopar enthusiast is digging into these things yourself. And there's so much information about the wing cars out there. They've actually written entire books about these cars. They were so cool and there was so much involved into their creation that I suggest you go out and read some of those books. That's what I'm planning to do because I know there's so much information about how it was engineered, you know, all the wind tunnel testing and that people that actually designed, I think missiles are the ones who helped Chrysler figure out the aerodynamic aspects of these cars, which is crazy because if I remember right, Chrysler had like a missile program or something, something crazy like that. I'm going to, I'm going to talk all about that on a future episode, but this was just a quick rundown of the Charger Daytona for those of you that aren't too familiar with them. So that was this installment of High Performance Heritage for the 1969 Dodge Charger Daytona, one of the coolest cars that Ma Mopar ever came up with. It's just one of those cars that when you see a Daytona or you see a Superbird, you can't help but just be in awe of how crazy they are. (laughs) You know, they're insane. If you've ever seen one in real life, 
you know, if you've seen one in person, you just look at the thing and go, I cannot believe this was even offered on a showroom floor. And, you know, back then people didn't even want them. <laughs> you know what I mean? They often sat on car lots forever because people just thought they were hideous. And, you know, I'm the kind of jerk that back then, if I would have seen that car, I would have been like, I want that thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just, gosh, if you could come up with the most cartoony car in the muscle car era, it had to be the Plymouth Superburden Dodge Charger Daytona. You know, that's all there is to it. They're just insane cars. And the prices of them, man, you know, you can find projects going for almost a hundred grand. <laughs> you know what I mean? hardcore projects. And, you know, if you're fortunate enough and you have deep enough pockets, you can get a really nice one for six figures. And, you know, if I ever am in a position where I have that kind of money, I would have to, I would have to buy one of those things. Anybody that is lucky enough to have a wing car, I envy them. <laughs> I'll admit that I have so much envy for those people because they're such cool cars and they're such important pieces of the fabric of Mopar history. They set Chrysler apart from everybody else. No other car manufacturer had anything that was nearly as crazy as those wing cars. They're amazing cars. I could sit here all day and just talk about how cool they are. And some people hate them. Some people think they are the ugliest thing ever. I am completely on the other end of that spectrum. I think they're cool. I think they are the coolest cars that Chrysler ever made. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> but they're winners, and that's all that really matters. I hope you enjoyed my little highlight of the Charger Daytona in this installment of High Performance Heritage. The next installment of High Performance Heritage will be about the successor of the Daytona, the almighty 1970 Plymouth Superbird. So look forward to that in the coming weeks. Before we shut this baby down, one more interesting thing that the Daytonas were equipped with was two jacks. One bumper jack and one scissor jack. Why two jacks? Well, the front end did not have a traditional bumper to jack up. That's why. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopar's High Performance Heritage is in the books. For everything you need to know about this podcast, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar addicted mind to chris at talkingmopars.com or leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. Special thanks to my friends over at hemipages.com. Hemipages is a directory source for the Gen 3 Hemi and Mopar aftermarket, including all of its related connections and content. They are also the brains behind the Build Mopar Community Project car, the 1968 Dodge Dart Superstock Tribute car powered by a Gen 3 426 cubic inch supercharged Hemi called the Dart Pack. For more info on the Dart Pack, the Build Mopar Project, and to check out the directory, visit hemipages.com and don't forget to add it to your home screen or favorites list. Thank you also to my buddies over at DIYHemi.com. They are another company run by Mopar enthusiasts that are also bookmarked on my favorites list. If you're like me, you love classic Mopars and modern Mopars too. Now you can have the best of both worlds by combining the styling of the past with the power and technology of the future by swapping in a modern Gen 3 Hemi into your classic Mopar. So if a modern Hemi swap is something on your to-do list for your project car, you must visit DIYHemi.com to find out how you can make that happen. 
DIY Hemi can help you build the ultimate fusion of classic and modern muscle without breaking the bank. Just a couple more items of business before we go, folks. If you'd like to help support Talking Mopars, jump on over to TalkingMopars.com and check out the Talking Mopars merch shop. There you're going to find all the current Talking Mopars merch, like t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, stickers, and more. So not only will you be able to get some cool stuff, but in doing so, you're helping me to keep the wheels turning and the engine running on this podcast each and every week. Another way to help me keep the Talking Mopars machine running is by becoming a supporter of the Mopar Hunter on Facebook. For only $4.99 a month, you will get exclusive access to bonus content, as well as the exclusive Facebook group for this show called the Mopar Hunters Association. As it develops, you're going to get access to supporter-only posts of cars, parts, and collectibles that I don't post anywhere else, only to my supporters. You'll also get access to cool monthly giveaways, discounts on Talking Mopar's merchandise, and exclusive content like bonus podcasts and videos. So if you enjoy Talking Mopar's and the Mopar Hunter Facebook page, consider becoming a supporter today. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopar's High Performance Heritage. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.